Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Our lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 4. Listen for the word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me, Jesus said to him. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, though the voice be mine, may the message be full of your spirit, your grace, and your truth. Prepare our hearts now to speak and to hear your word through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've never liked a desert. Yeah, I've seen the the beautiful books of photography about the deserts in California. I know that there are some very interesting creatures that live in the desert that crawl and make their home there. Sunsets, which are unobstructed by those pesky things we call trees, can be quite beautiful. I get it. But still, deserts have never really been my thing. They are dry and prickly and uncomfortable. If I think about deserts too long, my throat starts to feel parched. Perhaps part of the reason for this is that I spent most of my childhood years among the Douglas fir rainforests of Oregon. If you like things to be lush and green and surrounded by water, Oregon is your kind of place. I grew up splashing in the streams and the rivers that ran down the western side of Mount Hood. I would jog out to John's Rudd viewpoint and look over the Sandy River Valley, and Mount Hood would stand there with its snow-capped peak gleaming in the sun. Down in that valley, my grandparents had their house and some acreage. On that acreage, they had three ponds with a stream running through them. During the summer, if you couldn't find us swimming in those ponds, You may have found us walking out or riding our horses out to a nearby lake. 
And of course, in Oregon, when we aren't basking in the rivers and the streams and the lakes during the glorious summer months, you could find us soaking in the rain and the drizzle that seemed to go on forever from September until May. People in Oregon know a thing or two about water. It's no surprise then that the mascots of our state universities live in the water. They're a duck and a beaver. Go ducks. In Oregon, it was quite easy to just take water for granted. At least for part of the state. What many people don't recognize is that about two-thirds of Oregon is not lush and green and full of water at all. Two-thirds of the state is actually that pesky desert that I would rather avoid. The total ecosystem of the area depends upon a balance between the rainforest and the desert. And there is a beauty and a mystery in this balance that itself is easy to ignore or to take for granted. And though I would, indeed, rather avoid it altogether, the desert has a great deal to teach us. In his memoir entitled Travels with Charlie, author John Steinbeck recounts his experiences traveling across the United States of America with his standard poodle, Charlie. In one part of his journey, he reflects upon the strangeness and beauty that he finds in the desert. The desert, he tells us, is a, quote, great and mysterious wasteland. It is something concealed and waiting. Though the desert is a sun-punished place, a place where the sun and dryness wage war against living things, it is also a place where one finds what he calls the conspiracy of life, able to circumvent the death rays of the all-conquering sun. If we take a moment to see what is really going on in the desert, we get a glimpse of life when it is stripped down to its most basic level. We learn what is truly needed for life to exist. Where plants and animals couldn't simply take the water they need to survive for granted, they developed capacities to soak in as much as they possibly could and to cling to every last drop of water as if their very life depended upon it. By remaining hyper-focused on gathering and storing this life-giving source, these creatures can exist where one would least expect to find life. In the dryness, in the heat, in the wasteland, one can find the conspiracy of life, persisting against all odds, giving birth to fresh insights about life, the world, and even God. In our gospel story for today, we find Jesus going from the water to the desert, from a place of relative comfort and certainty and security to one of hunger, of questioning, of vulnerability. Some weeks ago, we celebrated baptism of our Lord Sunday, and we read the passage from Matthew 3 that immediately precedes our text for today. Here, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John. He's surrounded by throngs of people. The heavens open up, and a dove descends, and a voice booms from heaven, This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. In this moment, Jesus' identity, His mission, His purpose, His very reason for living is pronounced clear as day. The source of His life is in God, as sure as He is standing in those waters. 
Jesus is set. He is good. He is soaking up every bit of this moment. Things are going great. And then, then the text tells us the Spirit leads Jesus up into the wilderness with the express purpose of being tempted by the devil. Thanks a lot, Spirit. I thought we were friends. Yet the Spirit is up to something here. Perhaps the Spirit knows that if Jesus begins his ministry right then and there, we might all get caught up in the spectacle of descending doves and booming voices from heaven. That we might get the impression that trusting God is clear and easy. That it always comes with signs and wonders and warm fuzzies. The Spirit has something different in mind. The baptism and temptation of Jesus are joined together by the words coming directly from heaven and the words which come directly from the mouth of the tempter. God says, this is my beloved son. The tempter says, if you are really the son of God. In each of these instances of temptation, the tempter asks Jesus to prove his sonship, to establish it for himself through acts of power, to be his own source of life, rather than to receive his life, his mission, his purpose from God as a gift, and to trust God with that gift. In the baptism story, God says, This is my son, the one who humbly shares in the baptism of all the people, who will show his sonship through humble service, through compassionate care, and through a love that remains steadfast even to the utmost of violence and humiliation. But in the desert, the tempter says, if you are really the Son of God, you may as well take advantage of it. Prove it through sensational miracles. Make yourself a celebrity by displaying your status for all to see. Take power over all the kingdoms of the world. In the desert, when faced with these temptations to abandon his trust in God, to seek his sustenance, his security, his power from some other source, Jesus clings to every last drop of those baptismal waters as if his very life depended on it. In the desert, Jesus shows us that finding the ultimate source of our life in God is not something to be taken for granted. It is not something to be forgotten or ignored. In his weakness and hunger, when all the trappings of his life are stripped down to their most basic and fundamental level, Jesus reveals to us the true conspiracy of life. That all life, at its core, is lived in complete dependence upon God, our source, and upon God's vision of wholeness and restoration. During the season of Lent, we are invited to journey with Jesus into the desert wilderness. Traditionally in the church, the season of Lent is marked by 40 days of fasting, reflection, preparation, and repentance. We engage in these acts by giving up and by taking on. We give something up or we fast in order to learn to live more simply, in order to clear away some of the clutter in our lives that keep us distracted and keep us away from God. We take on good works, acts of love and kindness, acts of prayer, in order to stay hyper-focused on soaking up our source 
of life, which is in God alone. What the season of Lent is meant to do at its core is to help us simplify our lives, to take stock of the ways that we have placed our trust, our hope, our faith in some source other than God. Because this is ultimately the primary temptation we all face. It is the temptation that's found at the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. It is the temptation that Jesus faces, and it is the temptation that can be found in all places and all times. It is that temptation to place our ultimate trust in something other than God. And when we do this, there are deep consequences. Because nothing in this finite world can satisfy the desire of our souls for the infinite love of God. When we try to satisfy our desire for God through other people, through things, through our own abilities, we place a burden on these things which they simply cannot bear. At some point, these things will run dry for us. They will run out. They will fail. We will exhaust the lifeblood and joy of the people around us if we place on them the burden of finding our ultimate purpose and hope and life in them. And this is what the tempter knows so well, that the allure of latching on to comfort or easy answers or pleasure or power or success might draw us in in the moment, but will finally leave us empty. And so during Lent, we face the desert wilderness intentionally to strip away through fasting and repentance the things we have placed around us that keep us from God. We examine the ways we have failed to trust in God calling us his own beloved children and have instead followed the allure of grounding our final hope in something else. God says, you are my beloved child. For you and for all of my children, I have provided enough. But we also hear, if God really loves you, if God really wants you to be happy, then why not take all you can get? At the end of the day, God helps those who help themselves, right? What can it hurt to grab a little bit more, to get a little bit more, to gain a little bit more comfort or pleasure? You can never really have enough for yourself. I promise you, the more you get, the happier you will be. God says, you are my beloved child. I made you in my very own image. I have given you this earth to tend as a garden, to provide your needs and the needs of your neighbors. Care for it as I have cared for you. But we also hear, if you are really made in God's image, well, then you are God's among the earth. This earth is yours to control, to exploit, to profit from. Extract a bit more. Burn a bit more. Throw away what you have no use for. Sell this world to the highest bidder. I promise if you do this, you will be like God. God says, you are my beloved child. I have a purpose and a meaning for your life a vocation to use your gifts and talents to serve me and to love your neighbor. But we also hear, if you are really so good and talented and full of purpose, why is that person over there so much smarter, so much more successful, so much happier and better looking than you? Try harder. Work longer. 
Brush up your image. Do a few more sit-ups. You must be a self-made person. Project a happy and successful facade at all costs. Push away your own pain and hurt and failure and the pain and hurt of those around you. I promise you, you make your own purpose and you will finally be satisfied. You will finally be worthy. You don't need God. God says, you are my beloved child. See your friends and your family. They are my beloved children too. Love me and love them with the fullness of love only I can give you. But we also hear, if you are really worthy of love, why do you feel so lonely? If you are really a good and loving parent, why is parenting so hard for you? You'll never measure up. Wasn't that your kid giggling in the back during the opening hymn? I heard it. If your friends, your family, your spouse, if they're really so special, why do they fail you? Why are they so imperfect? Surely relationships should be easier than this. Demand more of them. Discipline more harshly. Get better friends and find a better family. I promise you, someday you will finally get everything you need from those people around you. And on and on it goes. And this is why this season of examination and wilderness wandering is so important. The desert wilderness is a reminder to all of us that life is precious. Life is a miracle. And that all life depends upon a life-giving source and must cling to this source with everything it has for its very survival. But if we forget the desert, if we fail to examine those desert places in our own lives with Jesus as our guide, we may soon discover that we have taken our life-giving source for granted that we have traded what is most fundamental to our well-being for an empty mirage of comfort, control, certainty, or success. If we don't let the desert experience with Jesus remind us of what we really need for life and adjust our living accordingly, we might find ourselves neglecting the very thing that we truly need. We might find the places that were once lush and green and full of life slowly drying and wilting away. Now, if everything were desert, life would be unbearable. Jesus does not remain in that wilderness, and neither should we. That is why Lent only lasts for six and a half weeks, thanks be to God. But if we take the time to intentionally peel back the layers of our lives, to refocus on what is most basic and fundamental, our source of life in God, we will discover the conspiracy of life, and yes, even the conspiracy of God's grace holding us calling us beloved children, and making us new in the image of God's love. This, in the end, is the, is the water in which we run and splash and swim and which gives us life. This season, may we soak in this love and cling to every last drop as if our lives depend upon it. May we find in this love our true contentment, our true purpose, and our true belonging through the power of the resurrected Christ. Amen. So now go in the knowledge that when we face the desert, God meets us there with living water. Soak it in. Cling to every last drop like your very life depended upon it.
So now go in peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.